Good morning. Morning. Joseph, that was a good, good, that was good. Morning? Yeah, the morning was good. <laughs> I just got told I was loud too. Stopwatch. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Perusing right along. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We will get you one. All right, Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, we'll go through uh, verse 9. The word of the Lord. I urge Yodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for birthing us again, making us alive, giving us new hearts, opening our eyes and ears to spiritual things. Lord, may we submit to your word today. Lord, we are good soil. May we be good soil today. Help us to believe, trust, receive, know truth. Help us to be salt and light. Encourage us, Lord. Convict us, Lord. Unite us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, once again, the context. Can anybody guess the context of this section? Nobody? Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. We're still just flowing out of that verse. As citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel. And and truth be told, that is the foundation in the context for the law or for every command that, that we as Christians receive in the scriptures is we are being told by God's command where his, he's revealing his will to us. We are being told to obey him out of a place where we are already citizens of, uh, citizens of heaven. We are not trying to become citizens of heaven. We are not trying to prove that we are citizens in heaven. We are citizens in heaven, and therefore, when we read, they call this the third use of the law, when we read the law, any commands, any imperatives in Scripture, we need desperately to remind ourselves that we are citizens of heaven. 
that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. And that ultimately these commands are just calling us to be who we are in Christ, calling us to grow in who we are in Christ. But, but, not, but not, and this is, this is the default position, we need to know that because, and be reminded of it because if we lose sight of it, then we can do this morbid self-examination of our works daily, hourly, and everything in our life, whether it's a good day or a bad day or whether we feel the love of God or whether we feel that we love God, then gets based on our performance. Now, we know as a Reformation church, we know that we know the five solas. We know that it is by grace alone, um, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We know that when we think of salvation. But sometimes we can lose sight of the fact that sanctification is salvation as well. And we can think, well, yeah, no works for salvation. And when we think of salvation, we just think of justification. But no, it's, it's, works, works are, are never the standard for whether or not we are citizens of heaven. Uh, Christ's works are, but not our own. And it seems counterintuitive, and I think it's why even when Paul talks about grace, he's like, Should, you know, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. And then he's like, well, what, what do you say? You say, well, since, since sin, where, where sin abounds, grace abounds, <clears throat> should I go sin? So grace abounds. And, of course, he says, certainly not, you idiots, okay? So I think even then he knew what, well, sorry, we know now is, is we got to constantly be reminded of that because it just seems counterintuitive. Like there's no way that hearing about my justification week in and week out, there's no way that being reminded of the love of God, the grace of God, and the mercy of God, there's no way that's going to change people. And yet, it is the only thing that changes people. It, it's not getting up Sunday after Sunday or even in your alone time or where you go to Bible studies, constantly being um, reminded um, of your lack of works, which, again, is low-hanging fruit. It's not even low-hanging fruit. The fruit is already off the tree on the ground. I mean, if we just want to remind each other of where we fail to live up to the standard it's just, we just go around and we just pick it up off the ground and then we can just point at each other and tell each other, you know, basically even after this sermon, I could close this sermon and just say, hey, you guys are not doing very good at this. Do better. See you next week. And, and that, in a nutshell, is a, is a lot of the messages that, that people are hearing all across the world today. That is certainly the message that we constantly hear from our own selves. Suck it up, buttercup. I say it to my kids all the time. But... But that's not, that's not, uh, our minds have got to be renewed, which is why Paul spends so much time, and so do all the authors of Scripture, when they lay the groundwork of who Christ is, what he's done, and then, and only then, do they tell you then how to then live. And even when they do that, they always keep falling, they, they almost can't, they can't help themselves and praise the, praise the Lord that they can't. They interrupt themselves, especially Paul, and constantly then remind you again who Christ is and who you are in Christ. And, and then, they, then they start telling you more stuff to, to do. Then this is how you, and then they interrupt themselves again. And So it makes total sense that if, 
if the greatest, air quotes, danger to the church is just our default position of always putting just a hyper-emphasis on our works for salvation, on our works for the aspect of sanctification in salvation, that Paul would then, before he even starts telling them what to do, he refers to them as brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, I, I thank the Lord for you. And then he tells them right before, right in the same sentence is what he's getting ready to do and tell them what they need to do. He says, as citizens of Christ live worthy. He does it in Ephesians as well. At the, at the end of Ephesians 3 or at the beginning of Ephesians 4, after just three glorious chapters of, of union with Christ primarily, the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we are united in him, he says, now go live worthy of the calling you have received. Go, just go be who you are in Christ. And today is just rapid fire, all right, Rapid fire commands to the people of God. And, and we love the commands of God because the people of God love the commands of God. But the, the most important, I dare say, parts of this passage get overlooked and all the emphasis, again, just gets put on the commands. And then when that happens, all right, I, there's two types of people, but in the two types of people, there's three types of people, subtypes of people. And in the three types of people, there might be four or five. So here we go. So if, I, if all we do is, is, is proclaim the commands of Scripture, tell you you suck, go do better, see you next week, then here's what you, will happen. You'll have people that are filled with pride because they are deceived. They think they're knocking it out of the park. They, they love those types of messages. They love exhortation. And I mean... Not exhortation mixed with encouragement, but they love the, 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 the puffed up pastor and the loud voice and, and just getting beat up. They, they, it's like, it's weird. People love it because they think they're knocking it out of the park. And when they hear sermons, they're not even hearing them. They're hearing sermons for you. Oh, hon, you really need to listen to this week's sermon. Then you have the other person who hears the sermon and they're just devastated. They're devastated. So you have the person knocking it out of the park. They love it. You have the person that is, knows they're not knocking it out of the park, and they're, they're just in despair. Do I love God? Does God love me? Will I ever get better? Will I ever do better? And then you do have a person in there that they still get filled with pride. They're not doing the things, but they think they are. It's so weird. And I know several people like that, actually, not in this church, but I just know several people that they, too, love the exhortation and the hyper-emphasis on the law and discipline, and they love it, and they're not even doing any of it. It's so weird. And yet today, when we hear this rapid-fire application, it's like a machine gun, we're going to see that there's some really important keys in here to unlock how we are to view the commands of Scripture. Because ultimately, the imperatives are, are how we get to the gospel culture, the culture we want in a church. But you can't put the cart before the horse and start talking about the culture you want without laying the doctrine. It's always the um, indicatives before it's the imperatives. It's always the gospel. And then as believers, then we get into 
we get into the law. And so here we go, rapid fire, verses 2 through 3. All right. I urge you, Idia and Syntyche, I think that's how you pronounce those names. I pronounce them differently every time I read them. To agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true partner, no idea who that is, all right, to help these women, the true partner certainly knows, to help these women who have contended for the gospel at my side, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. I urge these women to agree in the Lord. So, so he, he names names. He's not a jerk about it. He talks about how they've served alongside him. Their names are in the book of life. So he softens the blow. He loves these ladies dearly. But this, I believe, is the whole point of the letter of Philippians. There's a unity issue. And if this doesn't get sorted out, then, then this just spreads like wildfire. And some people will take Euidia's side, and some people will take Syntyche's side, and some people will take no side. And eventually, and then you have gossip, and you have backbiting, and things that should never have been taken personal get taken personal. And, and then you only hear half-truths on one side of the story. I mean, guys, this, we, we know this is how it goes. <laughs> well, so does Paul. And so Paul tells these ladies to agree in the Lord. So there's, there's your first application. Now it's for them, but it's for us. We know it's for us as well, because this is just a reiteration of what he said in Philippians 2, 1 through 4. To agree in the Lord is the same as being like-minded. It's a call to be unified in the Lord. He says in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit which there is, there is, there is, if any affection and mercy, there is, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. Agree in the Lord. He's calling these ladies to do what he's, he's called them all to do. To agree in the Lord is to think the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, and here's what he's calling these ladies to, in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interest only, but rather to the interests of others. That's what he's calling them to do. He's not calling them just to hear the word. He's calling them to be doers of the word. He's, he's already laid this foundation for, for everybody, but then he points out these two, and he's just, ladies, get it together. In the Lord. In the Lord is fascinating. How often we see it and how often we see it just in this book in the lord christians christians all right can squash anything in the lord whatever would get in between us all it can all be squashed in the lord when we think about what it even means to be in the lord all right i'll get back in that in a second all right now here's the rapid fire all right beginning in verse Four. It's, I think this probably should be a new paragraph. It's not in my Bible. Maybe it is in your Bible. Because it's almost like these sections could be divided into two. He has this quick word for these ladies. And, and, and it's a big word. And, and then he has this machine gun rapid fire exhortation to the people at Philippi and to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Well, he does. He says it. He says it again. He said it. He's saying it again. Rejoice in the Lord. They have every reason, we have every reason, to rejoice in the Lord, regardless of the circumstances in our lives. We already know, okay, if you flip back to 128, or I'll, I'll read 127 through 28. 
just one thing as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or am absent, I will hear about you and that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not Just like all first century Christians, these people were under some sort of persecution for sure. And he's telling them, rejoice in the Lord. And I will say it again, rejoice in the Lord. We always have reasons to rejoice in the Lord because rejoicing in the Lord is primarily, if even barely at all, about our circumstances. We now know that rejoicing in the Lord is about boasting in Christ alone for salvation. It's about knowing that eternal things are way more important than temporal things. It's about putting no, no, no hope and, and no trust in our own works, no bust, boasting in our own works, but, but only in Christ alone. For what? For salvation. So, you know, uh, God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. See, that actually means something. And what it means is far greater than what's going on in your life right now, circumstance-wise. All right? And, and so does rejoice in the Lord. Now, it's not totally divorced from what's going on in our life, but it's so much bigger. To rejoice in the Lord, we're talking about rejoicing in the Lord for salvation and what that means. Forgiveness of sin, Christ's righteousness, child of God, bright future, eternity awaits, Christ is coming back. It means all those things. Adoption. It means all those things. That's way bigger than any circumstance could ever. Circumstances in life can't even touch it. But when we just get rejoicing in the Lord down to like, well, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because this thing over here worked out for good, we're missing it. We won't rejoice in the Lord through thick and through thin. And it's the same thing with, work, with God works all things out for good. There's a good, the good is that he is saving us and that he is the author and finisher of our salvation. And he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it. And, and the good work he's doing is he's conforming us into the very image of his son. It's the very next verse in Romans 8. And yet we can even take verses like that and verses like this and, and we get it down to this temporal stuff. And it's like, well, I, God's working all things for good. And when I know he's really doing it is when I get that thing I wanted. Or when that job I wanted, that car I wanted, that wife I wanted, that husband I wanted, that kid I wanted, whatever. And, and, then when, and then when that, though, becomes the measuring stick to what we think God is doing when he's working all things for good, then when things aren't good, we think God's not working things out for good. And there must be some reason, and that reasons us. Especially when we're constantly pointed back to ourselves. And so it's like, well, the only reason, it's my faith, it's... It's, I must be lacking faith, and God's not working things out for good. And it just, it just is temporal, 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 temporal. The, these verses that, that, that have just been chewed on and spit out and put on cards, they, they've like, I mean, 1 Corinthians 13 is the same way. You read that, and it's just like it's become cheese ball. It's just so cheesy. And 1 Corinthians 13 isn't cheesy, it's magnificent, it's spectacular. And yet, we hear these things and we just have these wrong definitions in our minds. Rejoicing in the Lord is so, it's paramount. It's a paradigm shift. It's, it's a game changer. It's everything to really grasp what Paul means when he says rejoice in the Lord. 
Circumstances cannot touch your salvation. Circumstances in life cannot touch the fact that God is your father, no longer your judge. Circumstances can't touch the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Circumstances in life can't touch the fact that you are now a son or a daughter. Can't touch any of it. Rejoicing in the Lord is not just this like, praise the Lord, hallelujah. That, okay, there, it, it means something. And Paul, that's why Paul can say rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. Look at me, rejoicing in the Lord. Hey guys, rejoice in the Lord, and I'll say it again, rejoice in the Lord, because he knows it's everything. He knows it's everything. Now, verse 5. So we have rejoice in the Lord always. And in verse 5, he says, let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Notice, rejoice in the Lord always. Fail. Okay. I, I fail. Okay. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Oh, no. Rapid fire, though. Be kind. Just be kind to people. You have every reason to be kind and gracious and gentle. The, the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians. Be Again, be who you are. When you're rejoicing in the Lord, how could you not be gracious to people? When we're not gracious to people, it's because we're, we've just got our eyes on our circumstances and on temporal things and have lost sight of the great truths and the greatest truths for, for all mankind throughout all history. Rejoicing in the Lord will naturally lead you to let your graciousness be known to everyone. Verse 6, don't worry about anything. Incredible. Don't worry about anything, but in everything. Notice these words, which is the next command. Pray about everything. Come boldly to the throne of grace. So these rapid fire, rejoice in the Lord always. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Don't worry about anything. We would not worry about anything once we're really got this locked in on this rejoicing in the Lord because we just know we know nobody's we're not losing our salvation nobody's taking it away we remember John chapter 10 that we have this double clutch of the father and the son and of course the Holy Spirit has us he will hold me fast he certainly will and so there's no reason to worry we, we remember Matthew 6 and that we don't have to worry about what we're going to eat and drink and wear the Gentiles do that the unbelievers do that. Why? Because they have no rest. They have no joy. They have no, their future isn't bright. But, but ours is. And we're going to look back on our lives and, and really know that God truly did work all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It's, we absolutely are going to know that. There's mystery and there's questions, but man, those deep things, the, the, the deep things of God's providence, they belong to the Lord. That's why every time I talk about the sovereignty of God, I try to also talk about his goodness so we don't get some sort of tyrant pictured in our mind. God is sovereign, control of, of absolutely every single detail in the history of the world, not just in your life, but in everyone's life, not just in believers' lives, but in unbelievers' lives, every single aspect. But God is also good. And when it doesn't look like he is, we just have to trust the Lord, that he's good. And so... Don't worry about anything but in everything, all right, but in everything through prayer and petitions with thanksgiving, like just gratitude, present your requests to God. Dwell upon all 
the good things and the right things. So I have to flip over. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Dwell upon all the good and right things. So think. Think about the right things. Yeah, there are crazy stuff going on in our country and in the world at large. And there's a time and place to talk about those things. And there's clearly a culture war going on. And there's a huge debate about how much emphasis we Christians should give to culture war. And there's this huge Christian nationalism debate, which I just want to mute that phrase on my Twitter. It's just people, people talking over one another. What do we do? What do we do? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We, we primarily focus on these things. We think about, the, I mean, these people were living in a crazy world too. Go figure. Being outright persecuted. And yet they're called to, again, this doesn't mean they aren't called to engage culture, but they're primarily called to think about, dwell upon whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. We spend so much time in our day and age on Facebook and on Twitter, and, and we get all wrapped up in all the chaos and all the, is that true? Is that real? This is insane. Did you see this video? Did you read this tweet? And, and, we're, and, and we're, then we think we like, it's our job to inform everybody about all the stuff that's going on in the world. And, and we can get to a place where we're not even doing this. We're forgetting to dwell on all the good things. There are good things. We live in a fallen world, but it's not completely, completely, completely annihilated in that fall. We are still created in the image of God, even unbelievers. There are good things to dwell on. I mean, I think about it just for my own life, and I hate using myself as an example except for when it's a bad example, okay? But I'll try to use it as a good example. When I think about the nuts stuff that's going on, the nutso stuff going on in our culture, I, it is good to think about, go figure, Christ. It is good to think about the gospel. It is good to then rejoice in the Lord. It is good then to not worry about everything. It is good to then try to find a way to be gracious to people. It is good then to dwell upon all the good and the right things in my life. And when I do that, when I think about Christ, when I think about the church, you all, when I think about my family and my kids, when I, when I think about the fact that I've, I'm 45 years old, I made it. I'm, I can't believe I even made it to 45. The choices I made in life when I was, before I was 25. And I'm just putting one foot in front of another. I'm not some guy that's out there planning and scheming and got 401ks and IRAs over there and doing, I'm not against those things. I just, I've just not how my brain works. And it's like that, that helps protect and it'll help you as you just think about the things that are right in front of you. Yeah. And primarily those things are found in the local church. We get so global and national and international and oh my gosh. And it's like, guys, most of us are just, we're just called to live a quiet life and serve the local church Amen. and then we just see all the we see these things we see them in christ and we see them in christ's people we see the good things and so we're, we're not carried away and tossed to and fro by all the bad things there are bad things i don't have to tell you 
you know, I mean, the, the, the gender stuff, the sexual immorality stuff, it's, it's, it's crazy out there. The attack on kids, the attack on women, the attack on men, the attack on education, the, the, the economy stuff. I mean, there's a lot to talk about. But primarily, this is what we need to be thinking about. And what we talk about is primarily what we're thinking about. All right. Do everything you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me is what Paul tells them. It's incredible. He's taught them. He's, they, they've, they've received it. They've heard it because he's taught them. And they, then they've seen Paul's the real deal. And he says, hey, just do those things. So, so here we go. We, we come to church today, all right? And we hear this, agree in the Lord. Whatever's going on in your life, if you have something going on with other believers, and, and this also just to prepare you for the future, every one of us, as we get closer together, I'll tell you right now, cat's out of the bag, we're going to let each other down. We just are, all right? We will, and you always hear this, but it won't be on purpose. Yes, it will, okay? We, we, we actually purposely let each other down, okay? Purposely. Now, a lot of times it's not on purpose. We don't even know that we're doing it, all right? Okay, so agree in the Lord. Be, he's telling these women, and then so we can say, hey, is there stuff going on in my life? I mean, I, in the Lord, I can certainly, I can do my part and be like, will you forgive me? I love you, or, or whatever. Have that call, send that text, do whatever, all right? We can do this in the Lord, all right? That, that's hard. It can be hard. If you're in the middle of a thing, and you're like, and you just want it to go away, and you don't want to play your part. You don't want to ask for forgiveness. You don't want to forgive. And then you come to church and you're like, oh, good night. He's telling me to, he's telling me to wrap it up. He's telling me to make that call, that call I don't want to make. He's telling me to have that meeting that I don't want to have. Yeah, the word of God is telling you to squash it. All right, That's, that can be hard to hear. It's definitely hard to do. And then we hear rejoice in the Lord. And they're like, yeah, but it's rejoice in the Lord always. Ooh. And then we hear, let your graciousness be known. And we're like, yes, to everyone. Ooh, shoot. And then it's like, don't worry. It's like, yeah, I'm getting about anything. It's like, ugh. And then it's dwell upon good things. Yes, I'm trying to, all of them. Dwell upon all of them. It's like, ugh. And do everything that you have. I mean, we haven't seen Paul, but we've learned from Paul. We've received from Paul. And as we, we read the scriptures out loud, we've certainly heard from Paul. We've heard from God. And he's like, do all that. And then it's like, okay, guys, we're not doing this perfectly. Can we at least admit that? We may not even be doing some of these things or all of these things very well. Okay, do better. See you next week. Imagine that. Imagine hearing that. Now, there's keys here that are so important when we think about these things, which these things are important or they wouldn't be in the word of God. This rejoicing in the Lord and being unified and not worrying and being gracious and having your mind renewed by all the good things, these are huge things. Huge. But we get the cart before the horse when we just focus on the thing. And the key here is that salvation is of the Lord. Because sanctification is 
part of salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification being saved from the power of sin. Glorification being saved from the very presence of sin. God is sovereign over all of it. God is the author and finisher of all of salvation. Not just our justification, not just our glorification, but our sanctification too. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That this isn't, all right, I started it, I will finish it, but in between, do better. <laughs> what, what, that's, we're just like fish out of water. In this huge gap, our lifetimes before glorification. But that's not true. God is, is, is the author through it all. He's the finisher through it all. Notice these keys, all right? And the key could be summed up. Salvation is of the Lord. But there's keys right in front of us. Look at verse 2 and then look at verse 4, okay? I urge Euodia and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. In the Lord. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. I, I mean, in the Lord, is, it's, it's key. This isn't a call to suck it up, buttercup, and figure out how to rejoice. This isn't a man up, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. We're not trying to get in the Lord, all right, by our obedience, we obey from a position of being already in the Lord. We are citizens of heaven. We are united to Christ. It's key when we think about doing all these things. It's so important to know the, from the position and the place in which we are doing these things, whatever the things are. One of them, rejoicing in the Lord. One of them, being gracious to everyone. One of them, being kind and gentle. One of them, not worrying about everything. One of them, praying to the Lord and with thanksgiving. One of them, thinking about eternal things and not temporal things. One of them, doing all we have heard and seen and read and seen in Paul's life. We do it from a place of being in the Lord. It's, it's throughout Philippians, and it's, it's right in front of us today. Another key, which again, is just all under salvation being of the Lord. Look at, verse, at the end of verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. I mean, actually, this verse sums it up perfect. The Lord is near. Yes. Whew. The Lord is near. What does that mean? Does it mean he's coming back soon? It could. I don't think it means that here. I think it means the Lord is near. The Lord's got you. Oh, isn't that so good? To hear the commands of Scripture, but then re be reminded that you're not doing it to try to get in the Lord. You're not trying to do it to stay in the Lord. You're actually doing it from a position in a place that you will never leave, and that is you are in the Lord. He's not telling you to rejoice out of the Lord, uh, out of your own power and own strength. He's not telling you to rejoice to try to get in. He's telling you to rejoice because you are in. And then when we get to this he is near. What, what a balm for the soul when you think about, especially the always and the everything and never. I mean, these, this is hardcore. These are hardcore commands. But the Lord is near. Praise the Lord. He's near to his people. 
He will never leave us nor forsake us. Look at verse 7. Okay, I'll go, we'll do verse 6 too. Don't worry about anything, whew, but in everything, whew, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, whew, present your request to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We do things because we are in the Lord. The Lord is near. God will guard our hearts and our minds as we work this stuff out. That's incredible to think about. I mean, this is not, again, this is not morbid self-examination time. This isn't a, um, you know, uh, Lord, Lord, get away from me. I never knew you sermon, which I hate those sermons. They're taken out of context. This isn't a examine yourself to see if you're in the faith sermon. I hate those sermons too. It's taken out of context. Almost all of them are. This is a, hey, hey, live worthy as citizens of the kingdom of God. And I know because you're a citizen of the kingdom of God, you like, actually want to know what that looks like. Well, I'm going to tell you. And then he tells us, and then he just then he's like, but it's all in the Lord. God is near. God is going to guard your hearts and minds as you, you know, soldier through this life, this hard life. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. This, this verse just gets butchered. The peace of God, so it's God's peace, right? Ain't your peace yet, okay? Let's just, let's hold that for a sec. It's his peace. His peace, because he is certainly peaceful. He, he's not fretting, Okay? He's in absolute total control. Everything is actually going according perfectly to God's plan, as mysterious as that is. All right? His, which, which is, speaking of mysterious, his peace surpasses all understanding. Why? Because, look around. And the fact that God is incomprehensible. I mean, we can know true things about God and write things about God, but we can't know the essence and very mind of God completely. Or we would be God. God is sovereign. God is incomprehensible. Therefore, his peace passes all understanding. And yet, that God, who is that sovereign and that incomprehensible and that immutable and that eternal and on and on and on and on we could go, he has this peace that passes all understanding. That God will guard our hearts and minds. We, our peace doesn't have to pass. On, that's the thing. He's going to give you a peace that passes all understanding. Well, I, I mean, there are, yeah, kind of. I mean, the people of God probably a lot of times are looking at, and people are like, why are, they, why are they not freaking out? That's good. That's good and right and true in application. But that also can be like, what's wrong with me? Why, do, why, why, doesn't, why, am, why is it my peace pass all understanding? Because you're not God. You, you don't have to have a peace that passes all understanding. God has that. And he will guard your hearts and minds as you try to walk through this, this life. And then he closes with, I mean, as if, I mean, you would, I don't know, as if we need reminded again, we do. Look how he closes the whole section. 
Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that great? Hey, do what you've learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And, I mean, you know, that's a good way to maybe get God to, you know, be with you. No, the God of peace will be with you. He will be. He is. And it's incredible. And so this is the right motivation, okay? This being we do the things in the Lord. The Lord is near. God will guard our hearts and minds. And the God of peace will be with us. That's the motivation. That's what we need to do, all the things we've been just called to do, which is uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Agree in the Lord. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything with thanksgiving. Dwell upon all the good things and do everything that Paul's told us to do. All right? This is the right motivation, though, to do those things. This is all the motivation, in fact, that we need. We must know these truths, believe these truths, be reminded of these truths before we set off to do the things that Paul's told us to do today. Gospel culture must be rooted in in and motivated by gospel doctrine because these commands, and here's why, these commands are hardcore, all right? God doesn't change. His commands don't change. But praise God, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're no longer condemned for not obeying God perfectly. This glorious truth actually sets us up and frees us up to actually obey and grow in our obedience to God's commands. This glorious truth that we're not condemned by our failure, it, it, it frees us up to admit our failure and to repent when we do fail, when we do sin. The glorious truth of the fact that there is no condemnation, th that frees us up to humbly and boldly seek God and others for help. We don't have to be all put together. We don't have to be all prim and proper because we're in Christ, we're, go we're good. It's, it's glorious to know these gospel truths as we set out to then, then do the things that we're called to do. And, and go figure, when it's all said and done, we rest in Christ. You can come up. In our gratitude, and out of gratitude for who he is and all he's done, we joyfully set out to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. It's just a call to be who we are. It all just keeps coming back full circle. And, and, and that, that these things are the things that oftentimes get let out, left out of this section. We, we, sometimes we just don't pay attention to the details. We, we, we read or we see or we hear this sermon and we're just like, we're just waylaid. But Paul is going out of his way to remind us that we are in the Lord. He's going out of his way to remind us that the Lord is near to us. He's going out of his way to remind us that God will guard our hearts and minds. And that God, the God of peace, will be with us through, through it all. He's already said this in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See you, bye. No, 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 no. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Ah, chin up, plod on, rejoice a little along the way. Yes, we have commands. Yes, we love the commands. Yes, we're not doing the commands perfectly. But praise the Lord God as our Father. 
and he will save us. He is saving us. We, we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. He says this, this is one of my favorite verses. See how justification just, just makes sanctification flourish, thinking about it? So much of the, of the and I'm, I'm not trying to be one of those guys, but sometimes I am, big deal. So many of the sermons I heard growing up and so many of the sermons that are going on today, they have this insanely overemphasis on sanctification. Not that it's, it's, of course, it's important. But there's never any mention of the gospel. There's never any mention of justification. It, it's as if justification, they think, doesn't even, like, it has no practical application for our lives. Now, the greatest practical thing that, that we can do as Christians is to hear the gospel preached and is to preach the gospel to ourselves. Because it's out of that remembrance of who Christ is and what he's done in saving us that then makes all the other stuff and all the other pieces start fitting together. Now may the God of peace, woo, himself, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here it is. Here it is. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Hey, rejoice in the Lord always. Hey, squash that relationship deal between another brother and sister in Christ. Agree in the Lord. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. Don't worry about anything. Chill out. Pray about everything. Take it to the Lord. He's your father. Dwell upon all the good and right things. Renew, have your minds renewed. Get rid of the junk. Get rid of the, the constant stuff coming in that is clouding out all the good and true and beautiful things. And hey, be a doer of the word, not just a hearer only. But hey, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. It's so good to know. And he is doing it. I'm going to read this because when he sang it, it was perfect, and then I'm done. When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold, no way, through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He will hold me fast. Man, he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. He will hold us fast. He's going to grow us in all these things today that we heard because we are in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We love you. How could we not, Lord? We are so grateful that you first loved us. Ah, oh, Lord, encourage your people. Build us up, strengthen us, protect us. That's what we need, man. We're your sheep. You're our shepherd. And we just, we just, need, we just need help, so much help. We need help in not worrying about everything. We need help in being gracious. We need help in being joyful. We need help about thinking about all the good things, Lord. We need help in our prayer lives, Lord. You know that. And so you're here to help. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.